0: We're going to go to Psalm 127. Psalm 127 this morning. We're kicking off a brand new series today um, called uh, Shooting Straight About Parenting. And uh, I want to shoot straight with you what the Bible says about parenting so that hopefully you can shoot straight uh, as you parent your children. And uh, just as a little disclaimer as we jump in this morning, um, I uh, have a, a friend, a mentor, another pastor who's been a great help to me in my ministry and just in my life named Trent Griffith. Um, and he has taught me so much about parenting in various avenues throughout the years. So pretty much everything you're going to get in the next four weeks is from him, okay? Uh, just, just full disclosure, um, I'm just giving you back what I've been taught and what's been so helpful, and with his permission, obviously, and so excited to share this with you. And I know what some of you are already thinking, like, great, that means I don't have to come to church the next four weeks because I'm not a parent, um, and so before you already start making excuses about why you don't need to come to church or why you don't need this series, um, let me see if I can maybe help you with that a little bit today. So if you're here today and you have, I want you to raise your hand, show of hands, a little survey, raise your hand if you have at least one parent. Okay, some of you are a little slow on that one, okay? Everybody's got a parent, right? Like we all have parents. We're all a product of parenting here today. And how many of you wish that whenever you were like 5 or 7 or 13 or whatever, that maybe you wish your parents maybe would have had a little bit more help on the parenting front? Anybody else in that? Maybe your life would have been a little less miserable if you'd have been helped. Um, or maybe you would have made their life less miserable. Um, how many of you made your parents' lives miserable when you were 13? Okay. Again, that should be every hand in the room. Um, that's what 13-year-olds do. That's their job. And so um, today we're going to be looking at the start of parenting according to God's word. And so we can learn from that, I think, even if you're not a parent yet. Let me give you some more setup for this. Um, so another little survey here. Let's, let's, I'm going to have you stand up this time. I want you to stand up if you're in the room and you are the parent of a zero to five-year-old child right now. Zero to five-year-old children, parents, stand up. Okay. You can recognize them because they barely stand in the dark circles under their eyes, Um, They're just barely making it to church this morning, praise the Lord, thank you guys for being here, Uh, so we're glad that they're here. All right, how about six to ten, who's in the six to ten group, parents of six to ten year olds, okay, good, we got a few more there, how about 11 to 15, stand or remain standing 11 to 15, all right, special prayer for this group right here, Uh, right now, just lay hands on them if you're near them, Um, they need that, Uh, 16 to 20 year olds, where's the 16 to 20 year old group? Some of you just keep standing. Do you not understand how this works? Like, this is, this is. There's, oh, you have lots of kids. That's good. We appreciate that. All right, 21 and up. Who's 21 and up in the house? Kids are 21 and up. Who's, who? Grandparents stand. Great grandparents stand. Some of you think you're really great grandparents. That's good. We think you are, too. Um, and so you can have a seat. So we have lots of people in our church, right, that are, are in some mode of the parenting realm throughout their life cycle and life um, Uh, life stage. And so um, we definitely need this series. Also, here at Harvest, we're called Harvest Bible Chapel because we preach the Bible. And um, if you, yeah, amen. And if you've noticed, it's hard to find a single page in your Bible that doesn't have something related to this topic, right? God being a father to us, us being part of the family of God and his children. We have stories of dysfunctional families and broken homes and messed up parenting. We have wisdom for parents throughout God's word. And so if we're going to preach the full counsel of God here at our church, we have to teach this as well, and that's what we do. And so we're going to spend some weeks looking at parenting from God's word together. Um, let me just say also, I'm, I'm very aware that we also have another group in our church um, that you're already, you're already struggling this morning. Because you want to have kids, and maybe you haven't had kids yet, or you're not able to biologically have children, and that's a hard place to be. And I uh, just want you to know that there's, there's grace for that here, there's love for that here. We have people in our church who have went through that. Um, and we would love to come alongside you and pray with you about that and walk with you through that. You probably have people in your small group who have been through that. If you'll share, I'm sure that they will come alongside you. If you don't have somebody in your small group, we can pair you up with others um, because we know that that's a hard road, but hopefully this is still in preparation for the day that God would bless you in that way as well. Um, another group that I know could be struggling this morning as well is those who are the parents of prodigals. Um, this is one of our most common prayer requests that we see come through the register, is pray for my child, pray for my grown child who is away from the Lord, and uh, some of you are feeling the weight of that this morning. Um, you're thinking, if, if I would have just known then what I know now, right, things could be different, or maybe if I would have known then what I'm going to learn in the next four weeks, things could be different, um, and I, I just want you to hear from me this morning and hopefully from the Lord that, again, there's, this is a place of grace, Right? The gospel is here. And so there's there's no shame in in that. There's lots of room for humility, right? To learn and to grow and to see how things can be different. But if you're following Christ, if you're walking in the gospel, there's no shame for our past mistakes and our past failures. We bring all of that to Jesus Christ, and he redeems all of it. All right? So just let that wash over you today and let God just be a, a, a voice of grace to you over the next few weeks as you learn from his word. Uh, we have another group in the house today, um, and that would be the kids. Um, and kids, uh, you can just be in 24-hour prayer for your parents for the next four weeks um, that God would fix them. Okay? Um, so that, that's your job for the next four weeks. Just be praying for your parents that God would do a work uh, in their hearts as they're seeking to parent you well. And then finally, I think we have one more maybe group in the house. Um, and this is the group that is able to have children but won't. What's up with that? Um, I, I don't know if you've, if you've read the Bible, um, but in Genesis chapter one, verse twenty-eight, Jesus or God says, "Be fruitful and multiply." Uh, that wasn't a suggestion, all right. That was a command from the Lord, and some of you have taken that command very seriously. In fact, you think it's just yours, and you're trying to do that for all of us. You don't have to do that on your own. We can all do that together, um, and that's a good thing. And, and, and God doesn't necessarily—you don't get bonus points in heaven for having lots of kids, okay? Um, what God wants more than lots of kids is he wants the world filled with his glory by parents who produce godly kids. And, um, and us as Christians, if you're a Christian and you're married, um, I would encourage you to strongly consider pursuing that command that God has given you because one of the ways in which we extend the gospel and we extend the kingdom is not just witnessing to people outside of our home, but raising up people in our home who love Jesus. And we can raise up the next generation of Christ followers as parents, and that's a very valuable and important role that we have as Christians, men and women. And so we would encourage you towards that. Um, and um, parents, for the you that are in the room and you're listening this morning, listen. Or if you're online, thank you guys as well. Um, I just want to clarify as we jump into this series as well that um, I know some of you're like, "Just get to the Bible, Mike." I promise it's coming. I know this is a long intro. We're going to get there. Bear with me. Um, but for parents, I want you to hear more than anything over the next four weeks that your role, your job, assigned to you by the Lord, is to disciple your children, right? It is not the church's job to disciple your kids. We have a great kids ministry, and I love it, and I'm so thankful for everyone who serves there and all the hard work that goes in, and we want to keep doing that, because we want to come alongside you and help you, but your job is to disciple your kids. Our job is to disciple you, so that you can disciple your kids, Okay, and so hopefully this series is going to help equip you to do that and lead you in that as well. And then last, let me just say this. Um, there's a question that I oftentimes ponder in our church or just in church in general in America. Um, and, and one of those questions is, why is it that the older generation oftentimes is not investing in the younger parenting generation? Like, I know you see them. I know you see them walking around struggling with their kids. They could use some help, all right? We we could use some help, some advice. I'll put myself in that category because we still have young kids. Like, we could use some help in that area. And so, um, you know, to to give some advice, to come alongside, to to help is such a great, great thing that the church can do uh, together. And with that question, don't, don't get me wrong, young parents, you're not off the hook here. The second question is, young parents, why aren't you asking for help and advice from the older generation? Listen, if you see some parents who have raised even moderately godly children, you should be knocking down their door asking them, like, hey, can I take you to dinner? And like, how do I get one of those? Right? Like, can you help me? (laughs) Can you you show me some things? Because it's really an awkward conversation for them to come up to you first and be like, hey, I, I noticed you were parenting and... Like, can I give you some advice? Like, it's just like, basically, like, you're a loser parent. Can I help you? Like, that's awkward, right? So maybe we should be the ones going to them and saying, hey, can you help me? And they can help us. And I think, I think there's something in God's word about that, right? Like, the older, you know, helping the younger and the younger honoring the old. Like, this is a biblical thing. And so parents, don't just Google it, okay? We have people in our church who can help you. And let's do that as community and parent together well in our church family. So. With all of that, one more disclaimer is that, listen, I have no false idea that I am the perfect parent. Okay? Courtney is not the perfect parent. She's better than I am, but she's still not the perfect parent. We do not have the perfect family. And so what I'm going to be sharing with you over the next couple weeks is not because we've got it figured out or because we're awesome at it, but just because these are some things that people have taught us that have been super helpful, and hopefully we can teach them to you, and they can be super helpful as well. We were just actually talking this week about um, parenting, about parenting fails. Um, I don't know if you've had any of those. You know, I'm, sure, I'm sure you parents haven't, but we have. Um, and we were kind of going through the list of our stories, and um, we were talking about this one time. I remember when Eliana was still young. Uh, I was actually pastoring at Indiana at the time at the church there, and, and Eliana, she started going through like, this, like, this like, biting phase. I don't know if any of your kids have ever done this or not. Um, and so we get a call from the church daycare that she has bit another child in the daycare. And like, this is like great advertising for your daycare, by the way. Like, hey, come, come bring your kid to our church daycare. The pastor's kid's a biter, but it's okay. Like, just bring your kids. And so, so we find out that Eliana has bitten this kid. And so she gets in trouble at school, obviously. And then she comes home, and we're talking with her. And like, hey, how can we help you with this? And we're trying to, you don't bite your friends. Like, it's kind of counterproductive. Like, that's not the way to keep friends. Like, It's not okay. We got to stop this, the biting thing. And so we kind of, and so she stops. She doesn't bite anybody else for several months. We think we're doing good. We're moving on. And then we go to my dad's house. I think it was for Christmas or something. All the family's there and her and her cousins get into some kind of fight and she bites one of her cousins. And I'm like, what, what is going on? And at this point, you're like, all these extended families there and they're all watching you. Like, how are you going to handle this? Right? Like, what are you going to do with the biter kid? And so um, I take her into the bathroom, and I'm saying, like, you can't bite people, like, this is not okay, and we're trying to, I try and explain to her, and she's got all the excuses about why she did it, and, and she's, it's just not getting, you know how you know when you're, it's just not getting through? Like, they're just not there. I'm like, she's got to understand why this is a problem, otherwise it's just going to keep happening. And then I had this aha moment. I was like, I got it. I know how I can get through to her. And so I reached down, and I took Eliana's arm, and I bit her. Now, no, 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 I didn't like draw blood or anything. Okay, it's okay. I know what you're thinking. But there was no blood. It was just, just enough pain for her to understand what she's doing to others. And she, she looks up at me with like the biggest shock in her eyes. And just starts wailing. And so I come out later and Courtney's like, like, what, what did you what did you do? And so I was like, I taught her not to bite. Um, not my greatest parenting moment, okay, right there. Like that. So, so just a little. Little juice for you. Like, if you ever feel like, hey, I'm not, I have, my, I have my, my bad parenting moments. Your pastor is with you, okay? We need grace as well. We need Jesus just like you do. And maybe that'll lower the bar a little bit this morning uh, to understand that. And, and if you could, just just pray for me. Pray for our family. Anytime I preach a series like this, Satan just loves to attack, right? And, uh, and the pastor's family is already under a microscope a lot of times. And so, like, just a little bit of extra grace, please, and a little bit of extra prayer this next few weeks as God Uh, uses this and works through our family, and hopefully he works through yours as well. So, with all that, let's get to some scripture. Here's the big question today. Am I a gospel-centered parent or a child-centered parent? This is what I want us to look at today. Am I a gospel-centered parent or a child-centered parent? We're going to do this from Psalm 127, so if you've got your Bibles, look with me there. It says, a song of ascents of Solomon. Verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemy in the gates. Okay, so Psalm 127, before we jump into the actual scripture, let's do a little background on the book of Psalms, just so we're all on the same page, right? So Psalms is the Hebrew songbook. This is like their hymn book, right? So so all the psalms are songs that they actually sing. These are song lyrics that we're reading. We don't have the tune to the songs, but we have the lyrics to the songs. And uh, this particular song is called a song of ascents, meaning that these were the group of songs that they would oftentimes sing as they were traveling from wherever they lived to Jerusalem, to the temple. They would usually do that at least once a year, sometimes multiple times a year for festivals and things like that. And as they would be traveling towards Jerusalem, it was really rough terrain. It was hot climate. As you got close to the city, you had to kind of go up this giant hill or mountain to get up to Jerusalem because it's set up on a hill. And they would sing these songs with their families as they're traveling to pass the time, right, to kind of make the journey better and easier and to instill wisdom into their kids as they're traveling, right? I'm sure like many of you did this morning, you load loaded by in the minivan and you turn on... The, the, the gospel music, and you're singing songs, and you're, and you, okay, maybe that didn't happen for you this morning, but, but that's, that's what they're doing here. They're, they're trying to, like, bring the kids into church, bring the kids to the Lord with the word of the Lord and singing these songs, and maybe they just, the parents seem just to, like, keep themselves sane and keep themselves from killing the kids on the road trip. I'm not completely sure, but this, this was the purpose of the Song of Ascents, and this particular one is from Solomon. Now Solomon was King Solomon, the son of the great King David, the greatest king in Israelite history. Um, Now Solomon, I'm not not sure we can peg him as the greatest parent, because his two sons were the ones who split the kingdom and pretty much sent Israel into a tailspin. But his dad, David, was the man after God's own heart. I think much of the wisdom that we get from Solomon, because it's not just here, but also all through the book of Proverbs, Solomon is teaching us so much about parenting I think that came from his dad, David, and what he learned at his feet. And so, so here he's given us some wisdom in Psalm 127, and, um, and we want to learn from that. And what's really interesting about this psalm is that there's a very large number of metaphors and similes in this psalm. You remember what metaphors and similes are? You remember seventh grade English, Right, English? Like it was painful, but right? Uh, so a metaphor is a comparison between two things. And a simile is a metaphor that uses the word like or, ah, that's good, you passed seventh grade. Awesome, that's good. So, so metaphors and similes, right, these are all throughout here. We have things like children are like arrows, right? Parents are like warriors. God is a builder who builds the house, which represents the home in this context, and that God watches over the city. He's a watchman. Over the city, which represents the community or the church as we know it today, in which the homes, the house resides. Okay, and so we're going to see what God has to say to us through all these metaphors and similes. So point number one this morning is simply this. Gospel-centered parents recognize that children are a blessing from the Lord. Recognize that children are a blessing from the Lord. It says right there in verse 5, right, blessed is the man whose quiver is full, or the parent, not just the man, but blessed is the parent whose quiver is full. So, so just, real again, quick survey this morning, who doesn't want a blessing from God today? Anybody like, no, I'm good, no blessings, God, I'm, I'm, I'm all full up, right? No, we're not like that. In fact, if I told you, hey, today after church, we got a little gift for you from the Lord. He gave it to us, we're going to give it to you. If you just go to the lobby and down the hallway, you can pick up your own personal blessing from god before you leave church today anybody rushing out to five guys before you stop by and get your blessing from god anybody like is that no right this is what we want this is our desire of our heart is to be blessed by the lord and the psalmist tells us right here that children are a blessing from the lord which is another way to remind you don't forget to pick up your kids as you leave church today all right pick up your blessings as you go home um But seriously, these things are, our kids are a blessing from the Lord. And a gospel-centered parent receives from God what he has given to us as a blessing. Now this is very contrary to the way that our culture oftentimes thinks about children. See, oftentimes in our culture today, children aren't seen as a blessing, they're seen as a bother. Which is one of the reasons why we have legalized abortion In our country, because if that child that is coming, if they're too much of a bother to you, then you can just go ahead and take care of that before they even get here. This is the reason we have so many problems with parenting in our cultures. Because oftentimes, when we fail, even us, when we fail at parenting, it's because we're viewing our children as a bother rather than as a blessing. But God says children are a blessing. So how is that? (laughs) Why are children a blessing? Because I'll be honest with you, I'm a parent, and there's some days where I definitely don't see it. It doesn't feel that way, right? So how can we hear from God that they are a blessing? Here's a couple ways. Number one, children teach us how to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. One way that children are a blessing is they teach us as adults they teach us how to properly respond to the gospel and to Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, Jesus is there and he's, he's teaching, he's doing his thing, and some children want to come up and they want to come see Jesus. Right? They want to come meet with Jesus. And the disciples are all like playing bodyguard and they're like, no, 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 Jesus did not have time for you. He's busy. Can't bother Jesus right now. Like, Go somewhere else. Go away, kids. And then in verse 14, it says this. But when Jesus saw it, He was indignant, and he said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. What we see in Scripture is that Jesus loved children. Like God in the flesh made time to give attention and love and care to children. He has a heart for them. And he says here to his disciples, he says, you must receive the kingdom of God like a child. What I've come to understand throughout the years is there are certain things about God, there are certain things about his kingdom that you can never really understand Until you're a parent. Or, if you're not a parent, until you at least spend time with kids and welcome kids into your presence. Because as we spend time with kids and as we are around them more, we start to see the helplessness of children and how much they need us or need others. And it reveals to us, it's a mirror to us of our own helplessness before God. And it reveals and reminds us how much we truly need him, just like they need us. And it's that kind of humility that is essential to entering the kingdom of God. You cannot understand or believe the gospel or turn to Jesus until your heart comes to a place of humility where you say, yes, I need you. Children, show us that. Children, show us what that means, what that looks like. And then Jesus, he takes these children and says, he, Notice he says he took them in his arms and he blessed them. I mean, he, he spoke over them, he expressed value to them, he expressed vision to them. He, he spent time speaking into their heart and into their lives. Parents, how often do you do this with your children? often do you just take a minute to pull them in, sit them on your lap, and speak life and vision into them? Like when they're little, it's easier, right? Because they, they want to come and climb up in mommy and daddy's lap, and they, they want to be near you, and, and you can do that. You can kind of give them a hug and draw them close. When they're older, you have to like chase them down, right? And like make them, um, you know, deal with the bear hug. And then, um, but this is so important that we, that we love them, that we speak to them, we speak blessing over them. Because when we do that, it communicates to them, listen, you're a blessing to me. You're not a bother. Like, I want you here. I, I value this relationship. This is a blessing. And they need to know that from us. If I was to survey your kids and I was to ask them, Are you, do mom and dad see you more as a bother or a blessing? What would they say? What evidence would they give? God wants us to see our children as a blessing because they help us see Jesus in the gospel for who he really is. But there's a second reason. Children are God's plan to ensure the gospel outlives the parents. This is part of the process. Unless we pass the baton of the gospel on to our kids then there is no hope for the next generation. The only reason the church is here, that it's existed for 2,000 years, is because our parents pass the gospel on to us, and we'll pass it on to the next, and to the next, and to the next, and this is how it keeps going. This is how it outlives us, is that we raise up godly kids who love the Lord and will continue forward in the mission. We're only one generation away from parents failing to disciple their kids for all of this to go downhill. It's on us to do our part. So children are God's plan to ensure the gospel outlives the parents. And number three, children are God's tool, here it is, to build the parents. We always think that we're the ones building them, but in actuality, God oftentimes uses our kids to actually build us. Some of you are thinking like, great, yes, parenting series, I need this. Tell me how to fix my kids. And what God is saying to you first is, okay, we'll get there, but first, I need to fix you. First, I need to work on your heart. First, I need to work in your life. You see, children, I said this earlier, children are like mirrors. They are a great opportunity to help us see all of our own junk, (laughs) right? Have you ever noticed, like, when you're looking at your your kid and you're like, man, like, Why are they so selfish? Like, why are they so irresponsible? Like, what's with all the defiance and always wanting to be their own sovereign? And like, where's all this come from? It comes from you. Right? They learn it from us. They learn it at our side, but they also get it from us through inherited sin. Right? Like, everything that we see in our kids that is sinful and problematic that we're trying to deal with it's actually just a mirror reflecting back how sinful we are and how much we need Jesus. And so children are a blessing because they show us how much we need God. And they keep us dependent on Him. You know, we see this all the time. You'll have the, the the people or the couple that, you know, growing up, maybe they grew up in church, maybe moderately Christian, you know, kind of went on Sundays or maybe just, you know, every once in a while or Easter or Christmas or whatever. And then they grow up and they get to like high school and college. And like, oh, I don't need God anymore. I'm good. And they go off and do their own thing. And then like 10 years later, they're 30 and they got two little kids running around the house. And they're like, oh, crap, what do I do? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I need help here. Like these kids, they need some Jesus. They need God or something because they are Demons. And so, like, so I'm going to take the kids to church. And so all of a sudden at 30 years old, all the parents and the kids, they start coming back to church and they start showing up because they're looking for some help from the God thing. And isn't that such a blessing? That God uses the blessing of our kids to draw us back to him and to show us how much we need him. Children are a blessing. So gospel-centered parents recognize that children are a blessing. That's point number one. Point number two, gospel-centered parents recognize that children are built by the Lord. This is super important right here, that children are built by the Lord. Look at verse one. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those those who build it labor in vain. Notice who's doing the building there not you, not me. God is the builder. God is building something. You see, when we get our kids, when you take them home from the hospital, and they're all sweet and cuddly, and then pretty soon you realize they should have a label on them that says, some assembly required, right? Like, because they're broken, and there's things that aren't right, and there are things that are like messed up and need to be fixed. And there's these holes in their heart that need to be filled with something and they need to be filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And oftentimes as parents, when we see the brokenness of our children, we take on this huge weight and we feel like, man, I've got to fix them. We're like, I'm the parent, they're the kids, my job is to build them. That's not what Scripture says. It says that God alone can build them, that he is the builder. So if he's the builder, then we are the tools, right? We have a role to play, but we're not the builder. We're the tools that God is using to build, and the children are the raw materials, and he's taking all this together to build in the house a heart for God in your kids. That's his goal. That's his job. To use you as the tool to build a heart for him in your children. And so we have to first realize that God is the builder. But then as we go further in verses 1 and 2, it uses all these words that I think are really kind of stand out, right? He talks about laboring. It talks about toil, right? Sometimes, sometimes parenting feels like toil, right? Like it's hard work. Staying up late, rising up early, being anxious. You see all those words in there? Some of you are like, yeah, I know exactly what that feels like. And the reason we feel that way so often is because we've missed the first part of the verse. That unless the Lord builds it, those who build labor in vain. Unless the Lord is the one building all my best parenting, everything I'm doing, the labor and the love and everything I'm pouring in, unless the Lord is doing the building, it's all worthless. It's all pointless. It's all in vain. Because we need the Lord to do the building. And honestly, guys, the, the same is true when it comes to life in general, both for kids and adults, right? That we can't fix ourselves. We need God, the builder, to come and to give us the ability to hear, the ability to see the beauty of the gospel and to respond to Jesus and say, yes, I am a sinner and I need help. This is the gospel. It's always God coming and building in us a new heart, Because our hearts are jacked up. And they're full of sin and they're full of struggle. And we're broken people and we can't fix it. But God can. He's the master builder. And he sent Jesus Christ to earth as a human all those years ago simply to walk this earth in a perfect, sinless manner and then to go to the cross and to die for sinners like you and me. To pay the price for our sins so that we can be forgiven and so that God can bring us in and he can give us a new heart. So we can build in us the image of Christ who is yearning for oneness and relationship with God Almighty once again. And Jesus came and he died and he was buried and three days later he rose back to life. And he simply said, if you will turn away from your sin and believe in me, I will give you a new heart. You will be born again. I will build you into this beautiful temple, this beautiful family of the Lord. But all of that, it depends on him. Not on us. We can't do that. We can't get good enough, we can't clean up enough, we can't fix our lives enough to, for God to then bring us in. We have to come to him humble like children and say, God, I need you, and let him be the builder. And that same thing trickles all the way down in our life to our parenting. We have to understand, parents, that we are powerless to change our children's heart. You and I are not equipped to do that. If we try to change their heart, it will be in vain. That's what God does. As parents, we need to build according to God's plan, or it will be in vain. Unless the parents invite the Lord into their parenting, all of it will be in vain. And most importantly, unless the parents surrender their own hearts to the Lord. First, all of our parenting will be in vain. So, God is the builder, and the first thing He's doing is He's building me in order to then use me to build my children. Right? It's a multi-step process. And as I learn to submit to God, as I learn to to come underneath his lordship and allow him to build in me the right heart, as I listen to God, then my children will learn to listen to me. And as I learn to trust God, then my children will come to learn to trust me as God's representative. As I start to obey God and my my children see that in my life, they will come to obey me. Because it's all this vertical relationship between us and God has to be right first. And out of that vertical relationship, then the horizontal relationship of parenting can be what it's supposed to be in the Lord. So the big question, I think, is this. Okay, I get it, Mike, Okay, God's the builder. I'm the tool. I I, I need to let him build. I just need to trust. So how do I know if I'm doing that? How do I know if I'm really trusting in God to build my children or if I'm trusting in myself? Well, Solomon actually tells us right here. Look at verse 2. He says, he gives to his beloved sleep. Come on now. Let me just ask you, as a parent, how well do you sleep? And some of you are like, Micah, I stood up when I had the two-year-old thing. Or like, you know how well I sleep, right? Like, it's not good. I get it. So there's there's one lack of sleep that comes from good parenting, okay? That's, That's a stage you're in, and we get that. But there's also a lack of sleep that can come from parents not trusting God to do his job and instead trying to take it all on myself. And if I'm laying awake at night worried and fearful and and anxious about parenting and about my kids and about all these things, then I'm not really trusting God to build my children's hearts the way that he says that he will. So how well do you sleep? There's a whole theology of sleep I think that's super important for us to understand in life. Like, you understand that God created us like this? Like, he could have created us to never need sleep. All right, some of you are like, that would be awesome. Some of you are like, that would be hell on earth. Like, I love sleep. But, but God created all of us that every 16 hours, your body makes you go unconscious. For like eight hours. Only for you to then wake up and realize, hey, everything's good. The world's still orbiting around the sun, all right, The house is still standing, the kids are still alive, the cat's missing, but everything else is good. Like, Like, for the last eight hours, God did not need you at all. That's important. Because he is in control. He is the builder. He is sovereign. We are not. And we can trust him. He loves your kids more than you do. And he wants what's best for them even more than you do. And so if we will do our part to submit to the Lord and to come under his lordship and to to parent in his hands, God will build the heart necessary in our children. We're just the tools. He's the builder. So that's point number two. Last point today, number three. Gospel-centered parents recognize that children must be bent toward the Lord. Gospel-centered parents recognize that children must be bent toward toward the Lord. Look at verse 4. It says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. That's a really powerful picture right there, right? This, these arrows in the hands of a warrior. And so I'm not really a hunter. That's not my deal. I actually did some when I was younger because my stepdad was a big hunter, um, but then basketball interfered. So um, we had to get rid of hunting. But, um, but I, I do have a friend, John, who is a hunter, and so he let me borrow this this morning. Does anybody, anybody know what this is, this thing right here, this contraption? It's a quiver, right, good. So this is a quiver, and uh, in, in the analogy here um, the, in, in the Scripture is the quiver is the home, right? It's, it's the place in which the arrows reside or the, the children reside. The quiver is our home as parents. Now, in this kind of setup here for our Scripture, he says that um, the arrows are like children, okay? So um, we have an arrow here, and um, this is... This is like your children and, and you know, arrows have um, this thing on the end of them called an arrowhead. And uh, there's actually still a little bit of meat on this one, I think. Um, but um, so this is, this is the, the, the important part of the arrow because this is the sharp part that's put on there to, to cause damage when it hits its target, right? Like there's, that's an important piece of being an arrow. It's very dangerous, very sharp, and um, designed to um, hurt something or someone. In the analogy here, okay, if children are the arrows, that makes parents the warriors. I like that, all right? And because as a warrior, the purpose of my arrows is not just to, like hang them on the wall so they look, I don't like current decor trends are all about the arrow. Like arrows are not meant to just be on the wall looking pretty. They're not just meant for us to have a collection for the grandparents to come look at and, and be like, oh, look at the beautiful arrows, and they're so nice and pretty, and no, no. Arrows are meant to be shot, right? They're meant to be aimed and then shot and fly through the air and hit the target and cause damage for the Lord, of course, right? So so the parent's job then, as the warrior, is to shoot the arrows, but the problem with our arrows is that they come bent, And if you've ever tried to shoot a bent arrow, it will not go where you aim it. And so our job as warriors is before we can go and shoot the arrows out into the battle, is that we have to straighten the arrows. So they will fly correctly for the Lord to the target. So First, we straighten the arrows, and then we have to sharpen the arrows so that when they do hit, they again, they cause maximum damage for the Lord. And so as a parent, my job is to straighten, to sharpen, and then to shoot my children. Not shoot your children. Like, shoot out your children. Okay, don't go say that Pastor Micah said shoot your children. That's not what I said, Okay. But our job is to shoot our children out of the home for the purpose of the kingdom of God so that they can go forth and win the battle for the Lord. That's the analogy. That's the picture that Solomon is giving us here when he's talking about arrows and warriors and all that. Okay, So like warriors, parents, we're going to be talking about this for the next couple of weeks like warriors, our job is to straighten, sharpen, and shoot the arrows out into battle. That's what you're called to do. All right, so how do we know if we are a child-centered parent or a gospel-centered parent? I want to just kind of close with this. I'll give you a little handout there in your notes. It's a little separate page today. I want to go through 10 statements. This is just kind of a self-evaluation, just a way for you to kind of check your own heart, check your own self, okay? You don't have to turn these in. Nobody else is going to be grading you. But let's just do some really honest work with the Lord today and be like, hey, where am I at when it comes to gospel-centered parenting? And you can check as we walk through this. So number one, a child-centered parent believes that children are basically good And just need affirmation. They're my little angels, and we just love them so much. And if we just help them, then they'll turn out to be great people. No. Do you have children? Like they're not angels. In fact, most of them I think they're playing for the other team. Okay? Like, this is this is not this is not true. Actually, what gospel-centered parents understand is they believe that children are foolish and they need correction and a Savior. Right? This, is, this is what the gospel tells us, that children are little, dirty, rotten sinners. They're selfish. They think the whole universe revolves around them. This is why they get you up at 2 a.m. to feed them. Because they think that they are the center of the universe, and our job as parents is to teach them no, you are not the center of the universe. Jesus is the center of the universe, and you need Him. All right, gospel centered parenting. Number two, child centered parents allow children to believe they are sovereign. They are not, God alone is sovereign. And our job is to teach them that they are not sovereign and they need to submit to God as sovereign because if they don't learn it here in this life, they will learn it in the next life and it will be a very, very, very painful lesson. And so our job as gospel-centered parents is to train children to yield control to God who alone is sovereign over our lives. Number three. Child-centered parents make children objects of worship. We've talked a lot about idols the last couple of weeks in our previous series. Remember we talked about what idols are, not just little statues on the, on the mantle, right? It's is anything that you love more than God. Anything that you think about more than God. Anything that you value more than God. Anything that you Put as more important in your life than God is an idol. And too often we take our children and we make them into idols, things to be worshiped. And that is a very dangerous place to put them for you and for them. And if you're not sure if that's you, if you're like, no, that's not me, I don't do that, I would challenge you just go take a look at your checking account, take a look at your weekly schedule. What is really, who or what is being worshipped in your life? Is it sports? Is it other activities? Is it, um, you know, like uh, look at your meal times? What are they revolving around? Look at your bedtimes. What's controlling those things? Look at your church times, services, and discipleship opportunities. Like what's really driving your life? What are you worshiping with your time and your money? Gospel-centered parents don't worship their children as God. They make parenting an act of worship to God, bringing their children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Number four, child-centered parents love children too little or too much. Um, you, You love them enough to fawn over them and to buy them things and to do everything they want, but you don't love them enough to actually tell them no or correct them or do what's best for them even if it's painful. Gospel-centered parents love children more than they love themselves. That's a good parent, sacrificial, but less than they love God, who is ultimately the one who is worshipped through our parenting. Number five, child-centered parents allow demands of the children to dictate the family schedule. Where gospel-centered parents train their children to bend their schedules around the needs of others. Teach them to put others first, to serve others, so they can grow up to be servants and servant leaders Like Jesus, who gave his whole life, not for himself, but for the benefit of others. Number six, child-centered parents fear what would happen to their children if they ever left their sight. So constantly hovering and constantly controlling and constantly holding on to all of the pieces Gospel center parents trust God is watching over their children even when they cannot. Catch that, catch that earlier in verse 1 of Psalm 127? God is the watchman, He watches over the city. Again, God loves your kids and He is watching over them and He is protecting them more than you can, better than you can. And so sometimes it's okay to trust Him in those ways. Number seven, child-centered parents allow children to view themselves as peers with adults and authorities. In other words, giving them an equal vote vote or an equal voice in the conversations and in what's happening in the family and and how things are going to work and what that looks like. Where gospel-centered parents train children to honor adults and submit to authority. This is super important because as they learn to submit to earthly authority that God has put in place over them, they're ultimately learning how to submit to God's authority. And if they don't learn it first in these simple, small ways as children, they will not submit to God's authority as they are adults. God plays this out for us. and gospel center parents, our job is to teach them that process, teach them that lesson, and not let them think that they are in charge or they get to tell God how it's going to be. Child-centered parents prioritize children over their marriage. This is a very tempting and easy thing to fall into. But listen, parents, in this life, the marriage relationship is permanent. right? That's the plan. Mom and dad together until you die. The child-parent relationship is temporary in the sense of they're going to be leaving your house one day. You're going to be shooting them out. And when you shoot all the arrows out and the quiver is now empty, guess who's still there? You and your spouse. And if that relationship has not been nurtured and taken care of and is not the center of the home, it's going to go very, very bad. And when you think you're doing your kids a service by giving them all your time and all your attention, you're actually doing them a huge disservice because you are putting in jeopardy what they need most, which is a strong, loving relationship between mom and dad in their home. That's what brings stability to a child's life. And so gospel-centered parents trust God. Oh, no, that's the wrong one. Where am I at? prioritize marriage for the sake of their children, okay? So this means that sometimes it's going to be like, all right, kids, mom and dad need some alone time, all right? You need to go in the other room, and we need to talk so that we can love each other, so we can build a relationship. We need a date night so we can get out and have time, just the two of us, so we can come together as a team so that we don't kill you, okay? So you see how valuable this is, right? Mom and dad need to value and and prioritize that relationship to be on the same team. Number nine, child-centered parents define success by compliant, obedient children. Now, all in favor of compliant, obedient children, yes and amen, right? For sure. That's good, but it's not enough. Because if all you go for is their behavior, you can get them to comply in their behavior, but their hearts are still sinful. And you don't actually change their hearts for the Lord. All you do is you create these little self-righteous Pharisees that know how to follow all the rules and check all the boxes, but they don't really know what it means to love and follow Jesus. Instead, gospel-centered parents define success by repentance, faith, and recognizing their need for God. That's what we want for our kids. We discipline them so they come to a place of repentance and faith and man, I need Jesus, because we all do. They need to be able to see that they are unable to obey, and they need grace. Lastly, number 10, child children and parents find identity in the performance of their children. This can be good or bad, right? Oh, my kid is such a horrible kid, and I'm a bad parent, and and, and I don't know what to do about this. Or, you know, actually, no, my kid's awesome. In fact, Michael, why don't you step down? I'll come up and teach this next four weeks because I got this nailed and I got some things I can share. And... But that's never where our identity should be. Gospel-tender parents find their identity in the grace of Christ. Because, listen, none of us are perfect parents. None of us had perfect parents. None of us will be perfect parents in the future We all need Jesus. We all need the gospel. We all need grace to come and to surround us and to change our hearts and to get us focused on him so that we can be gospel-centered parents. Big question. Am I a gospel-centered parent or a child-centered parent? Which is it? Look at that list. Where do you fall? you're probably a mixture of both, right? Yeah, we all have some of, some of both of that probably. I get that. But no matter how you scored today, I just want you to know that, listen, there's still hope, right? That's what the gospel is all about. That's the power of the gospel. That it offers a fresh start. It offers a new beginning for all who come to Jesus. And so if you're here today and you're struggling, maybe, maybe you're thinking about past parenting failures. Maybe your kids are out of the house. Maybe they're older. Maybe you're thinking about like right now, like I'm trying to just get through tomorrow, Micah, and, and my parenting is struggling. Listen, all of those failures, all of those struggles, everything that you're dealing with, I just want you to know, you can bring all of that to the cross. Come and lay that at the feet of Jesus and let the grace of the gospel just wash over you Let him redeem all of that, and he will give you fresh grace and fresh mercy every single day so that you can be a tool in the hand of the great master builder for the good of your family and for the good of your kids. It's all coming back to the gospel, so if you'll stand with me, go ahead and stand. I want to take just a moment here just to, to do some hard work. So just bow your heads with me. Close your eyes for a moment. Again, maybe you're thinking of your children right now. Thinking of things that you wish you could redo. Things that you want to do differently now. Things you want to do differently in the future. Bring all that to Christ. Just right now, just pray and just ask the Lord. just to come near to you. We are all needy people here today. There are no perfect parents. So just bring all that failure, all that struggle, all that shame, and let Jesus cover you in his grace. Listen, friends, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. We need him. Unless the Lord gives grace, unless the Lord opens blind eyes, unless the Lord grants new life to our dead, cold hearts, then it's all in vain. Let's just humble ourselves before the Lord today. Dear Heavenly Father, we we bow before you this morning. Heavenly Father, we're just asking, Lord, please, please, Lord, please just speak to each of us individually right now through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, come and do the work we need in our hearts, Lord, so that we can be gospel centered parents and grandparents and church members who are helping others as they're parenting. We just thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for your grace that covers all of our failures all of our sin, all of our struggle, Lord, all, you took care of all of it with your sacrificial death on the cross. Thank you for making us your children, children of the faith. So God, for all those who are finding it hard this morning to believe that they can take a fresh start, that they can take new steps in their parenting, Lord, I just flood their hearts with your grace right now. Help us to believe the gospel. Walk with you. That's gospel center, parents. For all this in Christ's name.